You're listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here today. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors, and it's my privilege to be able to wrap this message series, Divine Intervention, up today. I want to welcome all of our college students back. It's great to see all of you that have uh, made your way back to our campus today and hope that you'll join us, all of you, for our Christmas Eve services. You should find a card in the seat there. And this card is really not as much for you as it is for someone that you're going to invite. Now, if you need to take one and put it up on the fridge at home to remember when you're coming, that's cool, but I would really love for you to take one and put them into the hands of somebody that you work with, someone who's a neighbor, someone around you that might not ever come on a Sunday morning to a church environment, but they would come to a Christmas Eve service. Who doesn't love to sing Christmas carols? And I'll be sharing a message next weekend on, on, uh, at 11, 4, and 6 here at this site entitled The Gift of Dependency. And so I want to invite you to join us for those services. If you haven't already got that on your calendar, plan to do that. And again, we're wrapping up this series, Divine Intervention. We've been talking for the last month about the ways in which and the scenarios in which God divinely intervenes in our lives. If you want to turn in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, that's where we're going to be, so it's always good for you to be able to follow along. If you need a paper Bible, there should be some in the chairs uh, below you there in the racks below. You can also always download the Riverside app and follow along in the live event notes there. If you'd like to do that, I encourage you to consider that. And then there are paper notes that you'll find in your bulletins as well. And I will give specific attention to the paper notes a little bit later on in the message. There's content there that isn't anywhere else today. So I want to encourage you to grab those so that you can kind of follow along. It'll make a little bit more sense as we get to that. I want to welcome those of you who are listening by podcast today and hope that you are having a great holiday season as we prepare for these Christmas Eve services. And again, we won't have service on Sunday next weekend. We want you to enjoy time with your family and your friends on Christmas Day, but we're going to have a blast on Christmas Eve. Looking forward to those experiences with you. This series that we've been in, for those of you who are maybe brand new today, somebody's invited you and you're kind of exploring faith in God, or maybe you're investigating on your own. You just wandered in. You came in intentionally today. So glad that you're here. I want to bring you up to speed so that you're kind of aware of what we're doing as we land the plane on this particular series. This divine intervention series has all been, been about how God divinely intervenes, specifically the first week, in our brokenness. And we talked all in that message about Adam and Eve. We began in Genesis chapter 3. Then in the next week, we talked about divine intervention in our restlessness. And we looked at the story of a couple in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham and Sarah. And we talked about how they took kind of matters into their own hands and God divinely intervened there. And then last week, we looked at the whole idea of divine intervention in our broken, uh, excuse me, in our barrenness. And that was all about Zachariah and Elizabeth, the forerunners, the parents of the forerunner of Jesus we know today as John the baptizer. And so today we're talking about divine intervention in our faithfulness. And uh, just by a show of hands, I'd like to just take a little survey here, a little uh, uh, read of the room. God is batting two for two when it comes to babies headed into our message today. With Abraham and Sarah, he made the promise 25 years later, a baby came. Last week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, as I said, and John the Baptist. He prophesied that they would have a baby and John the Baptist. So he's batting two for two. 
How many of you would, would be willing to go on record as saying, I think God's going to go three for three today in the story of Mary and Joseph. Let me see your hands. If you're new to the Bible, you should go ahead and raise your hand because God is batting a thousand here as it relates to predicting babies. So we're going to look at this whole idea of what does it mean? What's the difference and what's it look like when God intervenes in our faithfulness? How is it different when God intervenes in a person's life who is wholly devoted, fully given over to his will, completely submitted, desiring to follow him, desiring to live a life that honors him and shows the world around them that they are all in? What does it look like when God divinely intervenes in the life of a person who is pure? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to notice the team aspect of these divine interventions that we're going to see in the life of Mary and Joseph today. Now, we do get some clues from the Old Testament stories of how God divinely intervenes in faithfulness. We see it from the life of Noah. We see it in the life of Abraham that we've already studied. Leaders like Moses and Gideon. Maybe you're not familiar with those stories, but in those moments, we begin to see how God faithfully intervenes in the people's lives who have chosen to be faithful. We see it in the prophets' lives like Daniel and Jeremiah. But I think that the one of the best, if not the best example of the divine intervention in our faithfulness comes from the life of Mary and Joseph. And so we're going to pick it up in Luke's gospel. That's where we're actually going to begin and we're going to see how their divine interventions were different, their roles were different, but ultimately they come together to fulfill the plan that God has for them. We begin after the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's referring to King David from the Old Testament stories, David and Goliath. He's a part of that line. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are, this is our key phrase in this section, highly favored. The Lord is with you. And with Mary, like with no one else, literally, he's in, going to be in you. He's going to be living inside of you as you are pregnant. Literally, this is as with you as you can get. God is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. You would be too if an angel appeared to you. In fact, if one does appear to you, come see me. I'd really like to hear how that goes. Doesn't happen much today that we are aware of. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Here it is again. You have found favor with God. The first thing that I want you to notice today as we walk through how these divine interventions occur in our faithfulness is the faithfulness results in favor. God intervenes in our faithfulness when he sees that he can trust us. Faithful followers of Jesus acknowledge his lordship his supremacy overall. He is the master, the supernatural master over everything that we have and over us ourselves. This isn't a pick and choose kind of relationship that we have with God. It's total submission or it's rebellion. There's really not much middle ground from the perspective of God. And before we unpack this whole idea of what it means to be in the favor of God, I can't look past 
a very important theological piece here, but really the practical side of it is what I want us to unpack here because twice in those verses and a little bit later on, we'll see it again, that Mary was a virgin. And we know that Joseph was as well. They were both sexually pure. And what I want to drive home to you before we unpack this whole idea of favor is that purity paves the pathway to intimacy and purpose. Purity paves the pathway to intimacy and to purpose. In fact, I would submit to you that because Mary was pure, she was chosen. She was chosen to receive this favor that we're about to unpack. Because Joseph was pure, he was chosen for this reason. That God had a plan for them and he has a purpose for them. But that plan and purpose could not come to full fruition had they not been pure. And in a world today that is racked with sexual perversion, sexual promiscuity, sexual deviance, we desperately need to embrace the holiness that God has called us to as individuals and as a family. You see, when we are pure, there is an intimacy with God that does not come unless we have that purity. There is a relationship that cannot come with our Heavenly Father unless we are embracing that. Now, the good thing is, is that the Holy Spirit has been sent as we begin to follow him to help us to walk in purity. And in a world where sex outside of marriage, we're living together, where all of those kinds of things that we see it regularly and it's the norm and it's, you're kind of weird if you have a different perspective, I'm here to tell you that God has a different perspective about that. And you can't gloss over that in this story because the purpose that he had for them and the intimacy that they experienced was found in that. And in a world that is racked with pornography and the kinds of temptations and the lust and, the, and all the stuff that comes with that, that we hate to talk about, that's just no fun for me to stand up here and to talk about. We've got to address it because we're to be different. God has called us to a different standard. In fact, these are some of the verses in the New Testament that the scriptures record for us for our own health and our own well-being. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or impurity because these are improper for God's holy people. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And if you're sitting there and saying, well, I guess I'm out. I guess I'm disqualified. God will never intervene in my faithfulness because I am anything but pure right now. Today is your day to begin to make some changes. Today is your day to be able to experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God because that stuff can be in your past. Jesus died so that we could be freed from the bondage and the slavery of impurity, lust, evil desires, and the temptations that so easily entangle us. We can walk in victory because the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to all of us. And so purity paves the pathway to intimacy and to purpose. And in the middle of all of this, Mary experiences the favor of God. Now, when we think about favor, what you need to understand, that word, it's a, it means a gift of grace. She was a divine recipient of grace. Mary was not a divine dispenser of grace. She was a recipient. She needed it. The scriptures tell us that she was a sinner, that she made sacrifices for her own sin. So God in this moment chooses a woman who has remained steadfast and faithful. He chooses her to be the mother 
of his one and only son. And he gives her divine favor. Now, when you look at that and you say, man, favor must be awesome. Let me just tell you that Mary's divine favor journey was full of hardships. It was full of trials and difficulties. She would be ridiculed publicly. There would be tension in this divine intervention with regard to her relationship with Joseph. They were engaged and he's about to break off the marriage because of this indiscretion that she's trying to explain, but nobody's believing. Imagine the conversation with parents and in the village. These are small communities. Nazareth would have been a very small town. Everyone would have been whispering about it behind closed doors. And she was even susceptible to stoning. The law said that she could be stoned if that's what Joseph decided. Then on top of that, she's going to experience in God's favor, she's going to experience having to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem to go to, for this census that they were required to go be a part of. And then from Bethlehem, they have to escape all the way to Egypt. So she's got to deal with that with a newborn. And they didn't have nice minivans to travel in back then. So she's got to deal with that. And then she's got to live in a foreign country and then go from this foreign country all the way back. And there's still a threat that Jesus might be executed by King Herod and his sons and their regime. So they have to go all the way back up to Nazareth and live in this tiny little community. And if that wasn't enough, in her divine favor, she had to watch her son be beaten, tortured, and executed in the most bloody, horrific way that a mother would ever watch her son die. And in the middle of all of that, she experienced the divine favor of God. Because when you think about divine favor, think of it this way. God has your back. Divine favor, divine favor simply means that you can go into those situations with the grace, with the strength, the sustaining strength and the sustaining grace of God, and you have an awareness deep within you that God has your back. That through the trials and the difficulties and the hardships and the insecurities and the indiscretions and all the stuff that life throws our way, we can experience in our faithfulness his divine favor. That's what Mary would tell you. And so as you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking about this whole idea of divine favor, do you have a deep confidence at the core and the soul of who you are that God has your back? Are you all in, in your awareness that God has your back no matter what you're facing? And if there's a little bit of angst, if there's a little bit of, yeah, boy, you know, I think about 75% of the time I feel like he's got my back or I'm not really sure if he does at all. May I submit to you that perhaps you have a lack of assurance that God has your back because there is something that you have not fully submitted to him. Maybe it's in this area of purity. Maybe it's something completely unrelated, but you can experience in your faithfulness the favor of God, the fact that he's got your back when you know you're all in, when you're not withholding anything from him, when you are fully submitted, fully devoted. You're not perfect. None of us are. But with heart, soul, mind, and strength, you loving him, you're loving others, and you're bought in to the plans of what he's up to. And if that is not you today, you can make some changes. 
If you're trying to selectively obey God, today is your day to begin to wholeheartedly, completely devote yourself, submit yourself to his will. If you want to experience his divine intervention in your faithfulness, your posture has got to be, yes, Lord. Whatever you ask of me, God, the answer is yes. I don't care what it is, God. The answer is yes. Before your feet hit the floor in the morning, before you even turn on the light and you're still angry that the alarm has gone off, if before you even start the day, you say to God, yes. You say, well, I, uh, yeah, but what if I don't know what he's gonna ask of me or I don't understand what he might ask. I mean, could an angel come and appear? I doubt if you're gonna see one tomorrow morning. So you can't rely on an, on an angelic messenger. How do you know what God's going to ask you? How do you know what he has asked of you? You've got to crack open your Bible every day, 15 minutes a day. You don't need forever, but just 15 minutes a day, you crack open your Bible and you say, God, what do you want to say? The answer is yes. I'm all in. I'm in my faithfulness. I invite you to divinely intervene. The answer will be yes. That's exactly what we see from the life of Mary. We continue in Luke. You'll see how she responds, which is such a model for all of us. You will conceive, the angel continues, and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. It's really important for this story. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants. That's referring to all the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes. Jacob had 12 sons who we know now today as the nation of Israel. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, the separated one, literally the divine one, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, which we talked all about last week, if you missed it, check out the podcast. In your barrenness, God wants to divinely intervene like he did in Elizabeth's life. She's gonna have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And some of you, you came today, you didn't even know it, but you came to hear this next phrase. For no word from God will ever fail. What has God placed in you through the Holy Spirit or in his word that he's spoken to you, he's whispered to you, that maybe you're hearing even now? You need to know that when God speaks, no word will ever fail. You can go to the bank on that. He has proven himself trustworthy. And because Mary is deeply convinced of that, because her answer is yes before he even has to ask, this is her reply in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Faithfulness not only results in favor, it, re it results in fulfillment as well. You see, we began this series in Genesis chapter three. That day I read to you the text where sin had entered into the world and God was pronouncing 
judgment on Adam and on Eve and on sin and the serpent and the devil. And in that moment, God makes a promise. And he says, there will come a day when sin will be defeated, when evil will be overcome, where death will give way to life, where defeat will succumb to victory, where emptiness will result in being filled, where the hopeless are hopeful, the uncertain are made certain, the timid shall be made bold, the fearful will be courageous, those who live in bondage will experience freedom, those who are guilty will be forgiven, those who have experienced and live in shame will experience grace and mercy, those who are distant will be brought close, those who are living in pride will have the opportunity to firsthand experience a life of humility, those who are broken will be mended, the lost will be found, the enemies of God will become his friends, those who are wandering will have purpose, and those who are discarded will feel loved. That is fulfilled in the moments that Mary says, yes, may it be done to me. I'm all in. Thanks. (laughs) The fulfillment began when she said yes and came to completion at the cross. But in our faithfulness, God wants to fulfill some things in our lives. He wants to bring about those things that he had in, in mind for you before you were born, before you ever started this life. I love Mary's response in this story. Notice her honesty. Notice her humility. She understands what's going to happen, but she doesn't really understand how it's going to happen. So she asks what question any of us would. Like, I need some help with the biology. I need some help with the anatomy, with the physics, the chemistry. I don't quite get this, God. Can you help me out? I'm all in, but I'm, this is way beyond what I can understand. And in all of this, God makes some clarifying statements about how it's going to happen. And she was able to surrender to God, her body, her soul, her experience. She could experience the grace of God, believe the word of God, and now she could be used by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the word of God. Notice how she's connected here. I love, again, this team aspect. Last week, we saw how God spoke to a couple that was up in age, Zachariah and Elizabeth, priestly, part of the priests at the temple. God speaks to them, divinely intervenes in an old man and woman. This week, we're seeing it, that God intervenes in the life of a young woman and a young man, part of the royal line. You have the priestly line, you have the royal line, In the middle of all this, God does not overlook men or women, young or old, rich or poor. One's in Jerusalem at the temple, one's in a tiny little town that's overlooked and discarded Nazareth that was despised by the people of that day. God shows up in a team experience in this divine intervention, and he's designed that for you and me as well. God shows up in the most unexpected of times when we least are looking for him. In their case, it's been 400 years since the prophet Malachi has spoken to them. That was the last time that they had heard the voice of God in a prophetic sense. And in that time, Malachi had said, hey, you're going to have someone who will tell you about my Messiah. That was John the Baptist. They've been waiting 400 years. They've been conquered by various world empires. And now Rome is in control. Rome is the authority. Rome has the occupation 
And God is speaking in the middle of all that to a young woman from a despised town because God fulfills his promises in our faithfulness. You see, God had promised David hundreds of years earlier that his throne would never end. The Israelites didn't fully get that. He himself didn't fully get that. God was talking about a spiritual throne, but he was also talking about the throne of David and the bloodline of David. And we're about to see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16, the conversation that the Holy Spirit has, that God has with David. I put it in your notes. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then tucked away in Luke and in Matthew, we have the genealogy of Jesus, which you've read or skipped over many, many times. But I want to draw a couple of verses out of each of those this morning to help you to see how God fulfills his promises in our faithfulness. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, and in verse 21, we see this, now Jesus was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Nathan, the son of David. He traces it back. Now Luke traces Jesus' genealogy through Mary. She had royal blood. If Jesus had been born to Mary with no direct connection though to Joseph, he would not have had any right to the throne because Mary's line was not the royal line. It went back, hers went back through Nathan to David. Nathan's line, David was the father and then Nathan was the son. That was not the royal line in terms of the throne. That was through Solomon. And so she had the royal blood, but she was not an heir to the throne. And it had been 14 generations since the promise of David to now the Messiah coming. And you look at that and you see the length of that promise. God was still faithful in that. So my question for you and for me, as I've been wrestling with this myself this week, what are you praying about that you're waiting to see fulfilled? What are you waiting upon to see it fulfilled? Maybe for some of us, it's the restoration of a relationship or the return of a loved one. Or maybe it's someone to cherish, someone to love. You're just waiting on God for that. Or direction in life. Or maybe it's a, a breakthrough in your pro professional career in some way. Maybe it's an open door to share Jesus at work or on your campus with your friends. Maybe it's a healing of some sort, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial, what, whatever it might be. I came today to encourage you to stay the course. Don't give up. Purpose to remain loyal. Loyal to the one who has proven himself unquestionably faithful. Mary would find favor. She knew that God would have her back. And when she said yes, the plans of God, the purposes of God were being fulfilled. And I want that for you. I want that for me. And with the remainder of our time, I want us to look at how the divine intervention played out in Joseph's life. It's over in Matthew chapter one. This is says, verse 18, is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. An angel of the Lord. Angels were really busy right about then. 
appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Again, it's always about this fear that they're wrestling with. Just like you and I, we get afraid. There's uncertainty ahead. We don't know what's gonna happen. The angel says, hey, God is trustworthy. You can rely upon him. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. For some of you today, that's your divine intervention. Jesus came to save you from your sins. Not the person next to you or the person in front of you or behind you. You today, right now, that might be you. You might've been coming for weeks or months. And today is your day to acknowledge your sin, to acknowledge the mistakes you've made along the way, your own brokenness, your own restlessness, your own barrenness. And in the middle of all that, God says, I want to divinely intervene. I sent my son and he came for one purpose, to save you from your sins. And you can do exactly what I did when I was five years old. And I use this chair to remind you of what this looks like. I trust this chair. I put all of my weight on this chair. That's exactly what you do with Jesus. You say, you know what? I'm not going to trust in my own best efforts, my own ingenuity, my own creativity, my own holiness, my own righteousness, my own church attendance, my own giving or serving. I'm putting all my weight and all my trust on Jesus because he came to save me from my sin. So you can have that divine intervention yourself right there where you're seated today. All this, he continues, Matthew records, took place, here it is again, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah. Matthew loves to connect the Old Testament. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, I love this response. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. The thought here is that faithfulness results in follow through. When we are faithful, we follow through on what God asks of us. In verse 20, you'll see there very clearly, Joseph is encouraged to push through his fear and uncertainty and follow through on his marriage with Mary. Faithfulness rejects fear because we serve a trustworthy God who invites us over and over and over and over again not to fear that he knows the future, that he has it well in hand and we, we can lean into him. We can place all our weight on him and that's exactly what Joseph did. It was embarrassing in the community. It was humiliating in the village. Talk about an awkward conversation with the in-laws. Hey, Heli, I didn't do that. It was God. Imagine, that's funny, people, come on. Imagine that conversation. Your excuse for impregnating your fiance is God? How believable was that for them? But in this moment, he follows through. He does exactly what God told him to do. Took Mary as his wife. Was pure until that day. Do you think 
why Joseph was chosen? Because God knew that he would prove trustworthy and faithful to be the adoptive father of his son. Matthew records Joseph's genealogy. It says in Matthew 1 and verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, in Luke's gospel, he's recording it. And if you notice, Luke takes it all the way from Mary through Heli, up through Nathan and David, all the way to Adam. Because in Luke's gospel, he's writing to a group of people who could care less about the Jewish roots and the Messiah aspect of it. They want to see if, it, if Jesus is for them as Gentiles. And that's exactly what he does. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew is passionately trying to help Jewish people find out and discover that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And so he's trying to tie it all into Abraham. And so that's what he does. And so in the middle of all this, we see that Joseph adopts Jesus into his family. And, be, and by doing that, he becomes the firstborn son with all of the rights, all of the responsibilities. And because Joseph had the legal right to the throne, Jesus now had that right. What do you mean? Look at it in, in Matthew 1 and verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. On the backside of the notes that I gave you, it shows this depiction for you to try to help you to see what it is I'm talking about. If you look at it, you'll see on the left side, this is all what Matthew describes. And it traces Jesus' genealogy through Joseph to his grandpa, Jacob. If you ever wondered who Jesus, who he called grandpa, it was a guy named Jacob and a guy named Heli. You see, it's like this. When you think about all of this, my name is David. My father's name is Larry. I have another father. His name is Bill Sullard. I am his son-in-law. That's all that we're talking about here in this genealogy is that Jesus had a father. He had a, a father-in-law, or uh, that Joseph had a father and a father-in-law. Takes it back to David. That's Matthew's gospel. Luke's gospel is all the royal bloodline through Nathan all the way down. And it took both Joseph and Mary because Mary's line was not the royal line, but Solomon's line was. And Joseph was a part of that. And so he adopts Jesus in, and in the middle of all that, in their faithfulness, the promises were fulfilled. So Mary had some fear. Joseph had some fear. What fear grips you today? What do you need to follow through on? Mary followed through. Joseph followed through. And notice again the team aspect of this. We need each other. When we walk in faithfulness, we do it in community. We do it in connectedness. If you're single, you need people in your life to walk with. If you're married, you need other married people, but you also need single people in your life. It takes a community. That's why in just a few weeks, on January the 8th, we're gonna give you an opportunity, both sites, all services, to sign up for groups. We should have the catalogs, Lord willing, on Christmas Eve night, Christmas Eve day. All the services will have those catalogs. In the meantime, they're digitally, each group every day is being published in the catalog ahead of time online. You can see it. Uh, in the Facebook group. You can see all the groups. If you're not a part of our Facebook group, you can ask to be a part of that private group. And uh, we will be happy to share all of that with you. It's right there online. 
But I want to encourage you to embrace this divine intervention in community with others this coming semester. There's going to be some incredible groups. So wrap this up today with a challenge for us all to invite God to intervene in our faithfulness. To experience for yourself his favor. See him fulfill his will and his plan for your life. Grow in overcoming your fear and develop an uncommon willingness to quickly and wholeheartedly obey the directives and the dreams that God gives you. Matthew also records the most famous sermon of Jesus. Christians know it as the Sermon on the Mount. In the middle of this mountainside teaching that Jesus offers, he makes a statement in the middle of a very familiar passage to so many of us. We know it as the Beatitudes, but one of those Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I just want you to imagine with me that Jesus is on the side of a mountain that day and he's speaking this message and he gets to that part under the influence and the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit and he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I just wonder, I just wonder, I just wonder if in that moment he thought of mom. If he thought of dad. I wonder if he looked back over the course of his life and said, mom was pure in heart. She saw God. Dad was pure in heart. He saw God. My prayer is that you and I will be pure. We'll be pure in heart that we might see God, that in our faithfulness, we would experience his favor, that we would have a core conviction that he has our back that in our faithfulness, we would experience the fulfillment of all God that has for us in our generation, in our lives, for our families, for this church, and that we would experience in our faithfulness his divine intervention, and that we would follow through on whatever he asks of us, that our answer would be like them. Yes, Lord, may it be to you, to me, as you have said. Let's pray. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to challenge those of you as I was praying and preparing for today. I believe with all my heart that there are some of you in this place today and you've been faithful for a long time, but you are really, really weary right now. And you need a fresh infusion of the power of God's Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to ask him for that. We get tired. We get weary. It's been a long year. For some of us, it's been very tumultuous. It's been difficult. We would say, don't know if I've actually experienced God's favor, but if you look back, you can see that he's had your back. And I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful, to not give up, to not walk away from the purity that will pave the way to your most intimate moments with God and that will, will pave the way to you fulfilling the purposes of God in your life. Others of you, you have been faithful, but you know that right now where you're seated today, in this season of your life, you are unfaithful. The Holy Spirit wants to draw you back to himself, that you might once again walk in purity, walk in faithfulness,
He is not here to condemn you, nor am I. He is here because he loves you, because he wants to have relationship with you. And that happens best and most deeply when we are walking in purity, when we are walking in holiness, in faithfulness before a God who loves us and has our best in mind. And others of you, today is your day to start walking faithfully. Today is your day to begin. You're gonna place your trust, all of your sin, all of your mistakes and failures, all of your pride, all of your brokenness, all of your restlessness, all of your barrenness. You're gonna not try to hang on to that anymore. You're gonna release that to Jesus. You're gonna say, I put my trust in you. Jesus, would you divinely intervene in my sin? Come and live inside of me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to rescue me, redeem me, heal me of my brokenness, heal me of my restlessness, heal me in my barrenness and help me to walk in faithfulness. Father, thank you that you're so faithful to us. Thank you that when we're wayward, you call us back. You patiently wait. Thank you, God, that you help us in our faithfulness to experience those divine intervention moments in big and little ways. And thank you that you're here today to help us to take new first-time steps of faith in you. Hear our prayers, hear our songs, hear our worries, our fears, our insecurities. Come upon us, give us bold faith that believes that you still show up in our world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.